Well, good morning. And it has been a good morning, hasn't it? Anytime I walk out of the house and the weather's like it is this morning, it's a good morning, right? Well, uh, as you can tell, just looking at the set, of course, we're closing out the series on DNA, but you can tell that we're in the process of um, working on what my dad told me to call the, the series of the millennium. And uh, so, and by the way, as you, as you leave this morning, you'll see we've got little mini invites. Grab a few of those if you would and, and, uh, and hand them out to your friends. This is going to be an incredible series. If you've gone through a period of time in your life where you've been hurt, you're dealing with uh, complications in life, difficulties, and don't really know where to go or what to do or, 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 or how to, to, to deal with the pain that you're experiencing, this is going to be an incredible series. So you're not going to want to miss any one of those weeks. And please invite your friends. It'll be a great series for them to come to. I don't know how this happens, um, but somehow I always end up getting to do the talks I really want to do, um, and uh, this week is, is no exception. In fact, the very first message I ever preached in my entire life was this, this story, and, and not too far from this, this message, as a matter of fact, um, and it's my favorite story in the Bible, and I think one of the reasons that I love it so much is that if you were to read the Gospels, I think probably the first people you would come across that you would go, ooh, those guys are like new springers. Those, those guys right there, those are, those are new springers. I think this would be that story. And, and as I read it, I think, wow, there's so many things in this story that mirror the character of who we are as a church, and really that's what the series is about. And as my dad said, we'll be coming back to this idea of DNA, who we are um, as a church, what, what, is, what are the basic building blocks of this place? Because I'm, I'm sure you've already noticed this, but you do know New Spring is not the average church, right? It's okay. It's, it's all right. We're, we're a little different, you know? And, and so it's really important as, as we begin to think about uh, the future and who we are as a church, it's important that we recognize um, what it is that makes us who we are so that, we, so that, so that our, identity is, is, uh, our identity has integrity. And that's something that, that has been the case, and we want to keep it uh, the case. But this morning we're talking a little bit um, out of the book of Mark, and, and, and I want to talk to you about four guys that I really think, if, if they were here, I think they would have fit in really well uh, in Kids World, or they would have fit in really well in First Impressions, or perhaps the tech team. Um, and, I, and I just want to start off uh, by, by giving you the story, and then if you'll allow me, we'll just kind of parse the story out a little bit and, and talk about maybe some of the significance. Um, and, and I, I want to open this up by letting you know the story that we're talking about is very early on in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus had been going around and, and teaching and doing miracles, and, and as, as is always the case, whenever Jesus is at work, it draws people. You know, you might come to New Spring, and it's a relatively large church, and, and if, 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 if it was maybe your first time or the first couple times you hear, you might come and you might think, well, th- that church is really big because, you know, because they, they have a, um, a, a fantastic um, pastor. You know, Mark is such a great speaker. I'm, I'm a little prejudiced. I would pretty much agree with you, but that's not the reason that we're a big church. You might say, well, they have a fantastic worship team. I mean, they have, they have a really great worship team, and when they get up there to lead worship, they do a fantastic job, and there is no doubt about that. That is true, but that is not why we are a big church. You might think, well, they, you know, they have a, a, a great community group system, or, or they have, a, they, you know, they have a, a great kids' world ministry. I mean, you go there and look at, look at all these kids, and by the way, I think we have the best kids' ministry in, in the country, but that's not why we're a big church. We're a big church because when Jesus is at work doing things, it draws people. It has nothing to do, really, with any of us. It has to do with Jesus. When Jesus is at work, there is a gravitational pull that, that is going to draw people in. That's just the way that things are. 
And so when we look at this story, you see Jesus teaching and you see a lot of people being drawn in. It's just sort of the story that we see in all the early parts of the gospel accounts. And Jesus is in a house. Now, I think Jesus probably went to this house to rest, but uh, this, this didn't work out very well for him because people kept coming in and wanting to listen to what he had to say. Now, you should know, houses back then were not like the houses that we live in now. There were no spacious floor plans and vaulted ceilings and basements and attics. And this is, These are very, very simple dwelling places, you know, a very, very small room, you know, four walls and a, and a mud roof. I mean, there was not much to it. Um, and so, as you can imagine, those things would pack out pretty quickly. And so Jesus is teaching, and we pick up the story in Mark 2, starting in verse 1. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the town. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So, if you would... Um, humor me for a minute. Try to get this picture in your mind. You have, a, you have a relatively small house. By the way, can you imagine? We think this was Peter's mom's house, right? Can you imagine being Peter's mom? I mean, this is the place where he is staying, but, but he has some visitors, you know? Can you imagine? You have, you have a guest, but apparently your guest has guests, right? And they come in, and they fill the entire house, and there's, there's no room. It's just Jesus and all these people, and it's packed, but here come our four guys that I said would have fit really well in kids' world. Mark 2, starting in verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd. Remember, it's really crowded in the house, so they dug through the clay roof above his head. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there said to themselves, What? That's blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves, so he said to them, by the way, you can't ever have a sidebar from Jesus, right? You, you, Jesus always knows what you're talking, even if you whisper. I just thought I would share that. That's for free this morning. Um, he's, Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves, so he said to them, why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your mat, and walk? I'll prove that I... The Son of Man have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take your mat, and go on home because you're healed. The man jumped up, took the mat, and pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. Then they all praised God. We've never seen anything like this before, and I'll bet they hadn't. Um, can you imagine, as we're you know, sitting here this morning and, and talking about this, can you imagine if all of a sudden the roof started to open up, you know, a little, little construction crew up there and start lowering somebody down from the ceiling? I mean, I bet that'd be the first time you saw anything like that. Um, I mean, this was, this was pretty incredible. Not only did these guys tear this roof up and lower this guy down, but on top of that, Jesus healed him. This is a remarkable story. And like any remarkable story, I think it's worth taking a look at the cast of, of characters. I mean, there were certainly um, different groups of people that were at that house that day. I mean, first of all, there, there were seekers. I mean, it was very clear in the Gospels that a group of people that sort of followed Jesus around came to find out, what is this guy about? They didn't necessarily believe at this point that Jesus was the Son of God, but they wanted to find out more about him. I mean, the guy was able to do stuff nobody else could do. And he was talking, the Bible says he talked with authority, he talked like nobody had ever talked before. So it was worth going to find out, what is, what, is, what, is, what is up with this guy? He's different. And by the way, at New Spring Church, we have a group of seekers. And thank goodness they are here. This is one of the reasons we exist. 
There are people that come to New Spring Church that maybe, maybe don't have a background with God, or perhaps the background that they've had with God has been incredibly confusing, and they're left with a bunch of questions, and they don't really know exactly what to believe about Jesus or what to believe about God, but they do know that when they come on this campus, the whole idea of God, the whole idea of Jesus seems a bit different than what they've heard before, and so they're interested, and so they come back. They may not be resolved yet, but they're here, and they're asking questions, and they're looking for the truth. They are seekers, and by the way, if you're a seeker here this morning, we love you, and we're thrilled that you're here. There are also two other groups. There, there, were, there, were, there were believers, of course, in the room. I mean, the disciples were there. We had other people that were there that obviously believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But if you'll allow me, there were two stages of believers. There were, there were believers that were two stages in their, in their life believing in, in Christ. I don't know if you've ever been to a, uh, a pro sporting event, like say an NFL uh, sporting event or, or NBA or something like that. But you will see, there, the, the, the people that are there are divided into two distinct categories, right? I mean, you have a lot of people walking around with stuff like this, you know? They got their foam fingers and their football and their, their, uh, their, you know, their, their hot dog and they've got, they've got their, you know, their, their pennant and, and they're wearing, you know, perhaps some, some team official merchandise or perhaps part of the team's logo is painted somewhere on their anatomy. They've, they've got something going on that says, I am a fan of this team, right? And if they weren't there, it wouldn't be much of a ball game. You, you need those fans, and in most of those cases, these fans are very loyal people. If the team loses, they may not be happy, but they're coming to the next ball game. If the team wins, they're thrilled, you know? Uh, they, 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 it's in, you know. There's nothing more insufferable than a fan whose team just won, right? But these people, they are, they're, they are there, and they are fans. They are there. Here's the thing. They are there to watch, and they are there to support. They want to give their support to the team, and they're there to say, when the team plays, I'm going to be there. And there were some people that were like that in that house that day with Jesus. They were fans. They were supporters. They were there to listen to what Jesus said, and they were there to give their support and say, I'm behind this guy. Which, by the way, at the time was not a tremendously safe thing to do. It wasn't as though Jesus was um, in trouble yet with, with the religious leaders. There was no warrant out for his arrest. But he still wasn't in the good graces of, of, the, of the political, religious people of the time. So, so being a fan of Jesus, it, you were kind of somewhere in the middle. You weren't really sure what... what whether that left you in a safe position or not, but these people believed in him, they loved him, and they were his fans. At New Spring, we have a huge group of fans. They are people who are here to learn, to listen, and to support. You know, these people in this story, if Jesus had been, if Jesus had been teaching at the city dump, they would have gone and listened to Jesus teach at the city dump. And I'll tell you what, we have people here that are so loyal, no matter, no matter what we've got going on, no matter what it is that we're doing, they would come and they would listen and they would support and they would be a part of what we're doing and we couldn't do it without them. They're fans of Jesus and they're fans of New Spring and they want to see Jesus' work move forward and they are supporting it and they are behind it. And let me tell you what, if you are a fan this morning, that is awesome. We love you and we need you. But if you ever go to an NFL sporting event, there's another group, slightly smaller group, but there's another group there. They don't have foam fingers. They don't have hot dogs. They don't have pennants. But they're suited up and their plan is to get their hands at some point on the football. At some point, 
They want to get their hands on the football and move it down the field. That is their goal. This day isn't just like an event for them. This day has been planning. It's been preparation. It's been hard work. They've been training for this day. They're very intentional about how they approach game day. Because for them, they're not there just to support. They're there to support. They're not there just to pay attention. They're going to pay attention. But they are there to participate. See, the thing that made these four guys different, the thing that made them be at a sort of a different stage in their life as a believer than than the rest of the people in the room, was they knew God was up to something. They knew God was doing something, and they knew God could do something, and they wanted to get in on what God was doing. They wanted to participate in what God was doing. I mean, at some point, they'd had a foam finger. They'd been a fan. They'd been a supporter. They were behind him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. But at some point, the thing clicked on them. And at some point, they decided, no, 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 no. I want to I be a player. I don't want to just be a fan. I want to be a player. I want to get my hands on the ball. I want to get out there and move the ball down the field. I want to be involved. And that's kind of a big question even for us today. I mean, the character of New Spring is to serve. The character of New Spring is people who are getting their hands on the ball. I said a minute ago, New Spring is a different church. And it's possible that when you came here the first time, the, the thing that made you think, hey, this is a different church, could be, you know, that there was a knight in shining armor on the stage, or, or it could be that there were washers and dryers on the stage, or it could be that you walked into Kids World and saw the really huge play place and might have thought, well, this is a different church. Um, but, you know, for a lot of us, the thing that, that, was, that stood out that made you think this was a different church the minute that you walked in is that there were people in the parking lot who were giving up their morning to try to make sure that people, people were able to park. And there were people when you walked in who gave you something to drink as you walked in the door. They asked you, would you like a coffee or would you like a bottle of water? And when, you, when you came in, they tried to make sure that you knew where to take your kids and, where, and wanted to make sure you understood how the check-in process worked. And then, and then when you came and you were ready to come into the auditorium, there were people who were kind of looking and trying to find a seat for you. And you recognize there are a lot of people here who are, who are voluntarily giving up their time to make this work. On an, any given weekend, at bare minimum, just, just being transparent with you, at bare minimum, any given weekend, it takes at least 400 volunteers to do what we do. Now, I'm not talking about 400 volunteers on our role of people who have volunteered. I'm saying it takes that many feet on the ground. It takes 400 people per weekend, bare minimum, to make a weekend happen at New Spring. In kids' world, it takes a bare minimum of 200. By the way, Dan wanted me to let you know he can use 75 more. Uh, (laughs) Thought I would throw that in there. But right now, as we're sitting here right now, there are tons of people in Kids World, in the wire, in the hub, that are working to, to, to help. They're giving their time to, to, to invest in kids, in junior hires, in high schoolers. There are people across um, uh, on this campus working in first impressions right now, making sure that people have, have, have a, a place to sit when they come in, that the, that the auditorium is, is, I mean, they're doing things you, you wouldn't even really think of. They're, they're checking the auditorium between services, make, make sure everything looks 
looks okay and is ready for the next service to come in. They're, they're giving up their time to make sure that when people accept Christ at the end of a service and go turn in a, 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 a card that says, I pray to receive Christ, they're making sure they get the materials that they need to get. The, I'm, I'm telling you, if there weren't for the people who are getting their hands on the football and participating and playing, we couldn't do what we do. It'd be impossible. New Spring is a, is a serving church. So somebody looking from the outside might be wondering, well, Jonathan, uh, why do so many people at your church serve? I mean, I, I talk to other churches a lot, and friends, you know, I have background with, with other, other churches, and from time to time, I'll have people talk to me about our culture of volunteering, and they'll say, how do you get so many people to volunteer? And you might think, well, Jonathan, the reason that New Spring has so many people volunteering is because some people are just like that, you know? So there are some people out there that just, you know, Whatever you got going on, if you ask them to help, they'll help. And there are people with helpful spirits. But let me tell you this, I don't think that's it. Because there are churches all over the country that have people from all walks of life and all temperaments and all, and, and, and all different personalities, and yet they're still having to pull teeth to get people to come and serve at their ministries. You might say, Jonathan, those people... Those people are long-term new springers. You know, I mean, they've been around a long time and, 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 and they've just, you know, really synced up with the mission of the church. And because they've been there so long, it just became natural for them to just, you know, sign up and become a part. Let me tell you what, there are some people serving in our ministry who've only been here a few weeks. There are people here who synced up with our ministry so fast, they said, what can I do to help? It's not a matter of just people having been here a long time. You said, well, Jonathan, I've got it. Those people are just, you know, saints. They're they're super spiritual, they're more spiritually evolved than I am, um, and, and obviously just because they're, you know, they, they you know, have the halos over their heads and everything, that's, they just automatically gravitate towards service, and I think if you were to ask just about anybody that you see volunteering this morning, uh, they would probably tell you they need just as much of God's grace as you do. You want to know what the average profile of a person is who, who serves at New Spring? They're just a regular person just like you or just like me just another regular person, but they believe that God can make a difference in people's lives, and so they're investing their life and seeing that happen. These guys, these four guys who lowered their friend down in front of Jesus, they were average guys, but what they did worked. I mean, do you notice in the Bible, some people tried things and it worked. I always want to find out what, what was it that they did that actually caused uh, something to happen, and that's what I want to quickly talk to you about this morning. Three, three things that made these guys a successful player. If you're volunteering here at New Spring, you might want to take note of these. And, and then for those of us who aren't volunteering, it's probably still, um, probably still good information. Three things that these guys did well. The first thing was they saw a need and they were willing to be part of a creative solution. And both of those parts are incredibly important because let me tell you what, there's nothing that Satan hates more than somebody who will voluntarily serve God if, if, if you doubt that, take a look at the book of Job. The whole opening discussion between God and Satan is because Satan's razzed up about the fact that there's somebody who's serving God for, for no apparent reason. So what Satan will do to us, and we talked a little bit about this during the contest, but what Satan will do to us when we decide that we're going to put our lives and we're going to invest our lives in God and we're going to serve God, he tries two strategies. The first thing he tries to do is blind us. 
He tries to keep us from seeing the need. The Bible talks about in Ephesians, let me just read this too quickly, and we, we used this passage a lot when we were in the contest. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. The final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle you will be standing firm. Let me tell you, one of the most underestimated tools of Satan in our lives is darkness. If he can keep us from seeing reality, if he can keep us from seeing the, the needs, the possibilities, the ways in which we could serve God, if he can keep us from paying attention to that, then that, that totally keeps us from being effective at all. That's the first thing he does. But if he can't blind us, if he can't keep you from seeing the need, the second thing he'll do is he'll try to block you. Satan is a professional at blocking. You know, uh, if you are in, in, in pro football and, and you get the ball, there are really only two things that the other team can do uh, to keep you from, from scoring a touchdown. You know, one is they can disorient you and keep you from recognizing which way you want to run. You know, you could end up running a Regals, like, like Roy Regals, end up running the wrong way on the field. That's a bad day, you know. You, you, your career is, you know, has a slight, slight you know, uh, parentheses around it. But um, the other thing is they can just block you. You know, that seems to be the easier thing. They can just get in your way. They can tackle you. They can keep you from getting where it is that you want to go. And if Satan can't blind you, he'll block you. And see, Satan tried both of these things, I think, with these guys. You know, I mean, look at how many people had walked past this paralyzed person and never thought that this guy needs to get to Jesus. Out of all the people in this person's life, out of all the people who had seen the fact that he couldn't walk, that he couldn't get around on his own, only four people really got that this person needed to see Jesus. Sometimes Satan tries to blind us. But for these guys... That wasn't enough, and so Satan tried to block him. Look at Mark 2, 2. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for one more person. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd. But you know what? We have something that Satan doesn't know what to do with. I mean, first of all, he doesn't know what to do with the God that lives inside us, but there is a part of the God that lives inside us that he really doesn't know what to do with. The Bible says that the God that we serve is a creative God. The God that we serve created this universe in, in seven days. And actually, he took the seventh day off to rest. Truth is, he created it in six days. He's a creative God. He, he creates each person differently. He is a God who, who has the ability to create unique things. And the Bible says that we're created in his image. We have the seeds of God's creativity in us. Satan does not know what to do with that. So Satan tried to block these guys, but the problem with trying to block them is you can only block a person who has the seeds of God's creativity in them for so long, and at some point they're going to figure out another way around it. That's why these guys went up on that roof. That's why they started, you know, tearing the tiles apart, getting ready to lower this guy down. Keep in mind, there were no elevators. This was kind of a new thought here. We're going we're gonna to drop this guy down right in front of Jesus. The thing was, this was not, this was not about um, uh, being cute. This was about being creative, finding a way to get past the blocks. And by the way, that's what we're about as a church here at New Spring. 
When we, when we put up a creative set, when, when, when we put a, a yellow submarine in Baby Bay or we put a, a big play place in the kids' ministry, when, when, when we do Judgment House or we do Family Effects or any of the things that we do here, what we're doing those things for is not to be cute. We're doing those things to be creative because we're living in a culture where the front door is in many cases very, very blocked. And so what we are left to do as a church is find another way in. And we are trying to channel God's creativity and find, find the ways that we can creatively get in the place without having to go through the front door when it's blocked. That's what we're all about. Could be that you're experiencing Satan blocking you in your life. I mean, maybe you, every time you try to do something for God, somebody says something that offends you and it makes you feel terrible. Or maybe when you sign up for something that you want to do that's a ministry, the opportunity closes. You think... Well, you know, maybe, maybe God's blocking me. You know, maybe, maybe I'm dealing with a legitimate stop sign here. Maybe, maybe that's what it is that I'm going through. Can I tell you, the truth is, it is Satan who wants to block you. It's Satan who wants to stop you. And let me encourage you, the thing to do is be creative. Find another way in. Because you have, that, you have the seeds of that creativity in you. The second thing that these guys did or the second thing that these guys realized that made them successful is that few great things few great things are accomplished for God by one person. And sometimes it can seem that way. You know, especially in a big church where where you see some people's faces a lot more often than other people's faces. You know, you could say, you know, God, I you know, I'm not I can't do what Mark does, you know, I mean and 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 you know I, I can't do what Ryan does. I mean, is it really important for me to be a part of something when I can't do something like that? If I could do something like that, then I'd be involved, but I can't do something like that, so maybe it's not even worth it. Can I, can I give you two quick things about that? Number one is, can I just tell you that God is not about, God, God is not into one-man one teams. God is into He's into structured teams. He's into multiple people, multiple things together, doing a common purpose. I mean, it was God who assembled the team of, of, of one hydrogen atom and two oxygen atoms that create the, the molecule for water, that, that creates the, the, the majority of the substance of your body. It was God who put Adam and Eve together in a team that was the first marriage. It was God that when Jesus came to earth, the first, one of the first things he did in his ministry was to assemble a team of disciples. And, 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 and when he left, one of the last things he, he told us was that the church was supposed to gather together as a team and to reach the world. God is about teams. And the church is a team. You say, but Jonathan, you still haven't answered my question. It seems like some people do things that are more important, and it seems like other people do things that are less important. How, how can you tell me, you know, what, what, what is the answer to, to whether or not it's worth doing something that just doesn't seem as important as something else? Well, here's the deal. I, I could stand up here and I could give you a defense for the fact that I think that, that every job is of equal importance, but, but that would just be me. Can I just, I, I don't usually read you a very long text, but would you give me the liberty? I'd like to read you a text from the Bible to answer this question directly. It's very clear. It needs very, very little comment from me, but this text is here to answer that question. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. This is out of the message paraphrase. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the foot said, I'm not elegant like the hand embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. 
Would that make it so? If the ear said, I'm not beautiful like the eye, limpid and impressive, and I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? And if the body was all eye, how could it hear? And if all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter, this, this verse ought to be highlighted in your Bible, for no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. Even for anybody who's on this stage during the weekend, even for anybody who has what you might think would be a super important role, the Bible tells us that, we, that anything that happens on this campus is only significant because of what we are all a part of. It's significant to that level, and we all share in that. So it says an enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or the head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. And if you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? I don't know. I'm starting to get a little thin, so I'm thinking about it. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. And if one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. The Bible says our our, our church is like a body with, with many parts. And did you get that it says every part is dependent on the other part? And here's the really interesting thing. There are people that you will never meet here at New Spring that are doing critical service jobs. They are doing things that we could not have this ministry without them doing them, but you may never know their name. You may never, you would would maybe not even recognize their face. They're not somebody who's up front. But the Bible's telling us even those parts of our body that nobody else sees are, are incredibly critical. I mean, I have a liver today. You can't see it, but I'm not throwing it out with tomorrow's garbage. The Bible's saying even those parts that that aren't high-profile parts are incredibly important. See, there are some things in life that only you can do. You say, Jonathan, are you seriously telling me that only I can greet people as they walk in here? I'm telling you that only you can do it the way you do it. You're saying, Jonathan, are you saying I'm the only person who can check kids in? I'm saying you're the only person that can check kids in the way you check kids in. When everybody's doing what they can do, the Bible tells us that like a healthy body, the church functions. Here's the last thing, and I've got to hurry because I'm going to be going into overtime shortly. And that is this, they understood what motivates God. Man, I tell you, when I, when I read the story and, and, and really began to get what, what this was saying, it revolutionized, revolutionized the way I looked at our relationship with God. Did you know that there is something we can do that motivates God to do something for somebody else? 
I mean, a lot of times we talk about, when we're talking about bless you, we're talking about things that we do, being in line with God's program and, and, and following his directives, things that, that, that motivate God to bless us. But did you know there is something we can do that motivates God to bless a third party? I want you to see this, this verse in Mark 2. Mark 2, verse 5. This is right before Jesus healed that man. It says, seeing whose faith? Is it up on the screen? Whose faith? Their faith. Not the guy who was lowered down on the stretcher. These four guys. And it's possible nobody else saw these four guys. It's possible they were obscured from view. Nobody else was paying attention to these guys. But Jesus saw them and their faith motivated him to do something for this guy. Do you know what makes New Spring Volunteers so special? It's that they believe God can do something for somebody else. And they want to be a part of that. And when they do, when they decide to follow Jesus and to participate in what Jesus is doing and trust that God can do something in other people's life, when a Kids World volunteer gets up and gets ready early on a Sunday morning so that they can be here early on a Sunday morning so that they can minister to the kids that are here, they're doing so because they believe that God has the power to do things in kids' lives. And when they participate in that, they are motivating God to do something special for those kids. It's important because the odds were against this guy ever walking again. I mean, this is not the, the, the culture and the time of medical expertise that we have now. People who were paralyzed didn't walk again. That was crazy. There's literally no hope for this guy to walk again. It was very much against the odds. And can I tell you right now, the odds are against the church being effective in 2011 America. Most of this culture, God has been deemed not a useful hypothesis, and for the rest, it's difficult to, to sort out the truth about God amidst all the religious backwash. But these guys beat the odds. Why? Because they saw a need and they believed that God could do something about it. What is faith all about? Here's the deal. God was going around in his ministry doing things that nobody else could do. And when he would do those things, people would see that he did it, and then they would believe that that he was God. But what faith is all about, it's about believing that God can do something before you see him do it. And the mark of a real player, a mark of a real contender, somebody who gets out there and gets on the field and moves the ball down the field is somebody who believes God can do something before they see him do it. And when they believe that, they motivate God to do something for somebody else. And that is the way God has designed us to work as a team. I have to be done in just a minute, but would you, would you grant me the liberty to get on a hobby horse for just a second? Talk about a pet peeve. Uh, my dad said in one of the previous messages that sometimes people will come up to him or they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know, New Spring is such a fantastic church. If you would just add this one thing, it'd be great. Um, and I, I do, I run into that too. And um, a lot of times, and see, I came from a traditional church. Obviously, I grew up in a traditional church, and then I served in a traditional church for a while. And, and people will come up, and they'll ask me this question, and, and I know what they're asking. They'll come up, and they'll say, so, we love your church. Now, now, what do you do for discipleship? And I know what they're asking me, right, because I said I come from a traditional church. They're asking me, you know, what kind of Bible studies do you have? What kind of classes do you have? What kind of things do you have where we can get engaged and study the deep things of God? 
And there's certainly nothing wrong with studying God's Word. And the Bible tells us that we're to, we're to be students of His Word and we're to understand uh, His truth and we're to become closer and closer to God. But let me tell you something. When, when God assembled His team of disciples, it was not to have one big Bible study. God's model of discipleship was to get these guys together and to have them there and to have them participating as He changed people's lives. At New Spring Church, we see God changing people's lives in real time. And our main program for discipleship is volunteering. Because when you get engaged as a volunteer, you're going to get to participate and be there and watch God change people's lives. And that is the way to follow Christ. There, it is certainly important to study about God and we want you to get plugged into a connection group and we want you to get involved in community and we want you to study God's word. But let me tell you, more than anything, we want you to get to be a part of what we get to be a part of because I will tell you, it's absolutely narcotic to get to be involved in what God is doing. Judgment House wouldn't be a bad idea if you want to think about that. I have not been involved in anything in my entire life where I've gotten to see so much of God's hand moving at one time, and we're getting ready to have that happen right now. You could sign up. You could be a part of that. It is so important to get to be a part of what, of what God is doing. So I guess it's, it falls my, my job to ask kind of a simple question, I suppose. You know, I've been to a lot of sporting games, and, and um, I guess as I've sat there, I've, I've noticed that nobody ever, you know, nobody with a football and a uniform on and shoulder pads and so forth comes up to me and says, hey, you want to come play? I think it's probably because they're intimidated by how, you know, ruggedly athletic I look. But this is us. As a church, as New Spring, this is us asking you, you want to come play? If you, if you want to be a player, we want you. We need you. We, we are ready for you. We got a badge for you. We got everything. We'll get you plugged in. What, you know, we got a one-question spiritual gifts test. What do you like to do? We, we want to get you plugged in. Would, would you take a minute, just for a moment, my, my dad's not here this weekend, but he wanted to also make a, a personal appeal to you. Would you take a moment to watch this video? Worship One, Serve One is our volunteer philosophy here at New Spring. It's all about attending and worshiping in one service a weekend, then serving as a volunteer during another service. You know, here at New Spring, we need almost 400 volunteers to pull off a weekend. Whether we're talking about Kids World or First Impressions or any of the fantastic opportunities here at New Spring, um, we're just so dependent upon volunteers. We have so many different ways you can get involved at New Spring. Whether it's acting on stage in Kids World or praying for Mark during his message, every volunteer position is incredibly important. If you're a people person, try greeting on our First Impressions team. Or if you're more of a behind-the-scenes type, you could volunteer for our security team. And of course, you could always apply to be a leader in one of our student ministries or help with connection groups. There are so many possibilities. I decided to volunteer in Kids World because when I started at New Spring, I really felt like God was calling me to volunteer and become a part 
of the ministries here at church and it was just amazing to me how the kids could have so much fun yet still go home and know exactly what you taught them and what they'd learn and memorize the Bible verses. And not only that, but be excited to come back each week and bring their friends. And the way that it's just growing really encourages me as a believer and it helps to keep my faith strong and it's just great to see the next generation growing up knowing God. Okay, so I told you this was the big ask from us. Would you be willing, if you're not already serving, would you think about serving? We, you got a card when you walked in where you can indicate that you're interested. doesn't mean that you're signed up. doesn't mean that you're obligated. just means that you're interested. We would so love to have you be a part of what we're doing. And maybe this is today. Maybe today is that time to make that step for you. We, we hope it is. Would, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father God, we, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing at New Spring Church. We just pray that you would help us as we, as we try to find creative ways of reaching this culture for you, Father. We, we love you and we praise you. Would you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just one more moment? Just, I know that we didn't talk a lot about this this morning, but you might say, you know, Jonathan, I'm one of those people you talked about earlier. I'm, I'm a seeker. I'm trying to find the truth. I'm trying to find out what I can really believe about God. And you know, this morning it sort of clicked for me. At some point I just said, you know, I really do want to be a God follower. I really do want to have a relationship with God. If that's you, can I tell you that God has already done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with Him. All He's waiting for is for you to say, yes, I want to have a relationship with you. He's holding the gift out and all you have to do is accept it. I'm going to pray a very short prayer. And my words aren't important. The only thing that's important is that you mean these things in your heart. And if you do, God will save you. I'm going to pray this prayer in brief snippets so you can think about the words as I say them, and you can say these things silently in your head, and if you do, um, God will save you. Here's that prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. Today I choose to follow you, and I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus.